We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty Podcast Network. Uh, really excited to bring you today's guest, uh, a really inspiring guy, um, someone who I think you're going to learn a lot from. Before I introduce him, I just want to remind everybody that in order to get uh, more content from the Lions of Liberty, uh, from Brian and myself, you can join the Lions of Liberty Pride on Patreon or Locals. Uh, Patreon is patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Locals is lionsofliberty.locals.com. So we have some bonus shows there. If you want more Lions of Liberty, then join the Pride. So my guest today is Zach Wolf. And Zach is a really fascinating guy. Uh, when Zach was 19 years old, he was in a, a tragic car accident and it resulted in a, uh, a C5, C6 spinal cord injury. Um, he suffered severe whiplash and he was left classified as a quadriplegic. Um, Zach took that situation and he's turned it into an ins inspirational story, inspirational journey. And uh, he's really chosen to to fight in order to make the best of his situation. We'll get into all of that. He's, he's founded um, really a, a lifestyle company called Adaptive Outdoors, and we'll talk about that as well. So Zach, welcome to Finding Freedom. Hey, thanks for having me on. I, I'm super pumped to chat with you, tell you a little bit about my story and how I got to where I'm at today. Yeah, I'm uh I'm pumped to pumped to hear your story. I've I've watched a, a bunch of your your videos on uh on Twitter and uh you know just just seeing really how how you're using um your situation for for positive and I think that's I think that's awesome. Uh you know, I think with with a story like this and probably the best place place to start is really at the beginning and kind of to set up like how things played out, maybe starting with what your life was like before the accident. So sure. if you want to start there, just, you know, start with your you know, background growing up, th things of that nature. And, uh, and we'll go from there. For sure. I, uh, so growing up, I was always on the go. I never asked for help doing anything. Um, I was a huge, I worked out. I was very active in wrestling, um, growing through all my high school years and loved anything outdoors. Um, hunting, fishing, biking, just was very active. And school really was never my thing. I was, I would rather been out uh, working on my truck, um, working on something. And I got through high school. Like I said, I wrestled and I, and I, we'll get back to the wrestling here later on in the, in the chat here. I, uh, it helped me grow to where I am today. And I'll explain that in deeper detail. But, uh, like I said, um, school was really, really my thing. And I went to, after high school, I went to college for information systems, computers. And I was like, mm -hmm. something that sort of interested me, but not a ton. So um, that's a little bit of my, I guess, growing up. I was just always on the go. And one of the key points I want to touch on is I never asked for help. I would struggle my ass off before I'd ask for help. Um, I was very independent. 
And um, my my parents were strict parents. Um, mm-hmm. I had to be home by a certain time. Um, but, you know, when you're a teenager, you can sort of say you're staying at your buddy's house and then go somewhere else. But right. uh, I always ended up telling myself because I was always that type of person that was uh, felt guilty. So, but growing up, my parents were, they were, they were strict parents. They were very good parents. Um, I had a huge friend group. Uh, we all did everything together. We had the same hobbies and just our, it sort of evolved into all my friends. I still talk to till this day. Um, we're still really close. We don't live in different places now, but we're still close. And that tells a little bit about myself and my hometown was a super small hometown and there wasn't much to do. So you'd find us out in the woods. You'd find us out riding dirt bikes, four wheelers, um, Mm -hmm. like I said, working on stuff. But, uh, like I said, that's just a little bit about my previous to my accident, um, journey, I guess. Right. Right. I mean, pretty similar to, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of small towns, yeah. across America. I mean, when, when there's not a lot to do, you, you, you get outdoors, um, you hunt fish, uh, get out on, on four wheelers, things like that. So, and, and um, yeah, and growing up, you party, you know, you party in the woods and stuff and you have, yeah. you have a good time. Um, exactly. but, uh, yeah, I mean, that was one of my, that was one of my, some of my past life. Um, but I want to touch on the wrestling, um, thing real quick before I get into farther detail. Sure. Wrestling was a, I was never a state champ wrestler. I was doing it. The discipline it taught me that I didn't know till after my accident um, was unreal. And I did it more for, to keep in shape because I was a health freak and I love to be, I, I was very, very in shape. I liked working out, lifting, um, and just trying to stay in the best possible shape as possible. So that's why I wrestled. Um, where, where do you where do you think that uh, that health freak came from? Was that something you were, you were just always like that? No. So um, takes me another point. My grandpa, uh, we used to run all the time uh, since mm-hmm. I was ten years old. We would run. Um, I actually did a couple of triathlons with him. So it was something me and oh, him always did. Uh, and even to today. Every Thursday we go for a bike ride, we work out, we, so it mm-hmm. evolved through, but that's where it started. My grandfather's the one that's got me on the working, the fit lifestyle. Yeah, that's cool. So, so, um, I, I might've cut you off there when you were talking about the wrestling. Was there anything else you no, wanted no, to get I just, to? I didn't want to touch on that because the discipline it taught me, um, which I'll get into further detail here mm-hmm. in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's get in and, and talk about um, the accident, okay. what happened, and uh, and go through it. So this is where the story starts, guys. This is um, it was July third, two thousand eleven, and like I said, you know, we like to party, we like to have a good time. Um, from a small town, I was nineteen years old. You know, my parents, nineteen year olds, small town. They knew I was, you know, out camping for the weekend and we were drinking um it was over the fourth of july weekend and they never i never told them i drank but they assumed this they said you know always be careful don't drive Mm -hmm. um you know we know what you're doing but don't drive just stay there i said yeah we're not going anywhere um we're just gonna stay for the weekend all the way sunday or friday to monday and uh nobody's driving nobody's going anywhere so (sighs) 
the third of July. Um, we were running out. It was out a. It was on a Sunday actually, and we were running out of alcohol and some food. So we had to run back to town. When town was about five miles away, um, we left camp. I was supposed to drive, and I didn't drive. Uh, my buddy drove, so we, me and two of my buddies, jumped in my buddy's truck. It was a single cab Dodge fifteen hundred. We get in it, and you know. Nobody knew we left. My parents didn't know we left. Um, just run town real quick. We'll be back in 20 minutes. So we going down a dirt road and drinking a couple beers while we're going and um, listening to music. And we were about a mile outside of town, outside of Johnsonburg. And uh, there was a sharp curve. So went around the bend and took the driver, took the turn a little bit wide. Car was right in our path of travel initial reaction swerved to swerve to miss the car and we swerved went up an embankment hit a telephone pole and truck ended up on its roof now this point i remember where we're seeing i i can still play it to this day going down the road and i see the telephone pole in my path of travel i'm in the middle seat so it's right there and only thing i can remember myself saying is Oh fuck! Here we go. And next thing I knew, I woke up in the middle of the road. When I woke up in the middle of the road, um, I couldn't move. I couldn't feel anything from my neck down. Um, I couldn't turn my neck. I couldn't, and I was coughing up blood. I don't know how I got on the road at this point. I had no idea what where I was even at. Wow. Remember my buddy um, waking up or waking up. Remember my buddy running up to me. And this buddy actually wasn't with us. His name was Mark. Um, he lived up the road and he was supposed to be camping with us, but uh, he didn't come out yet. So he heard about the accident and somehow that quick found out it was us, ran down. And I remember him saying to me, hold on, they're coming for you. And I kept going in and out of consciousness. Now, when something traumatic happens, something life like that, you hear people talking about, you know, they see this white light, the brightest white light you can ever think of. Mm-hmm. And people say, think I'm nuts. And I, you know, it happened. I saw the brightest white light I've ever seen in really? my entire life. It was, it was, it still gives me chills to this day because it was so scary. Um, it was almost like I was five feet away from the sun because it was so bright. And then I woke up and came to, to him screaming to me to hold on. And from that time, I remember getting the ambulance coming and taking me to the hospital. Um, my other two buddies, the driver um, was perfect. You know, he got a concussion, um, but he was walked away from the accident. And my other buddy that was in the passenger seat also um, sort of walked away from the accident unharmed. Um, I had... I was bleeding, coughing up blood. I had a huge cut down my whole, actually, I forgot what, arm, what side it is. I cut my whole arm from, from like my wrist to my armpit, um, from getting drug mm-hmm. out of the vehicle, which I didn't even know I was, I was, uh, getting, I didn't know, I didn't know this time how I got onto the road, which my buddy had to get me out of the truck because gas was leaking everywhere and they didn't know what was going to happen. So I found out later on that the roof came down on my head. Um, so I had severe whiplash and it, um, 
threw my neck back. Uh, you, you were in the in in the in the back seat, or I, it was a in the middle. Cab, no, I was a single cab truck, and I was in the middle seat. Okay. Yeah, so I was like in the middle seat, but uh, yeah, we uh, so then I get to, I go to the hospital, um, and I get I remember getting to the St. Mary's Hospital and them saying to me, you know, uh, we're gonna go do some tests, but we're gonna get you out of here. So I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't even still know what was wrong with me. I just knew I couldn't feel anything or move my arms, my legs, nothing. I couldn't feel anything or do anything. And I just remember them saying, we're going to get you out of here, uh, down to Pittsburgh to the trauma center. So they ran a couple tests. At this point I get in the airplane and the helicopter and they fly me to Pittsburgh. Now I get to Pittsburgh and I just remember waking, coming back to, to seem like thousands of white coats around me and then cutting my clothes off. Now, a little funny story. I had a bunch of obscene drawings on my body from the weekend. Uh, we were, well, had a Sharpie <laughs> everywhere and we were uh, drawing a bunch yeah. of stuff on people. So imagine these guys probably think, what in the hell is this kid? So oh, it was, no. it was quite something. I didn't, I didn't think about this till later on and it's like, Oh my. So we got down there and I remember my doctor came in, my the surgeon came in and said, we are going to go to surgery tomorrow, which would have been the 4th of July to stabilize my neck. That's all I knew at this point. Still, I remember that very vaguely them telling my parents very vaguely. And next thing you know, um, I go into surgery and I'm an ICU after surgery. Now, this is where they told me that I had a spinal cord injury, a C5, C6 spinal cord injury. Now, I had no idea what a spinal cord injury was. I didn't know what that affected. I didn't know anything about it. I thought in a couple of weeks, I'll be good to go because I've been life lighted three times so far in my life. I have frequent flyer miles. Really? Uh, yeah, I got a, when I was, I guess when I was six months old, I fractured my skull from falling out of a high chair. When I was 14, I wrecked my dirt bike and got punctured and ruptured my spleen. So I've been a, a wild child, I guess you could say. So that, that do, you, do you think that helped to keep you sort of calm when it, when everything was, was happening? I do, I do think that helped keep me calm. But also I think what kept me calm is I definitely had a couple beers in me. So, uh, it kept me calm through it, but mm-hmm. I was in shock, a complete shock. Just imagine, um, not being able to move any of your limbs, not being able to turn your neck, not being able to do absolutely anything, not be able to feel anything. That was absolutely the craziest, craziest experience of my life. I would have never thought, you know, people say things happen in the blink of an eye and, uh, they, I'm here to tell you, they happen in a blink of an eye. You may think it, this something like this could never happen to you. I did. I was invincible. I thought, you know, I'm 19 years old, partying, having a good time, riding dirt bikes, doing whatever I wanted. I was living a life. I had a very good life. And one second, my life, not even a millisecond, my life was turned upside down. Mm-hmm. So it can happen. And uh, so back to the ICU is where I found out spinal cord injury. Thought a couple weeks, I'd be good to go. My parents, same thing. We really didn't know what a spinal cord injury affected. 
Well, I was in ICU for seven days. And the uh, and the doctors, so the doctors didn't, they weren't giving like expectations or anything at that point in time? At this Just, point, they, they told my parents, um, you know, don't do anything crazy. Uh, you know, I've seen, they've seen miracles. And from this point, my doctor, my mom, we just talked about this the other day. The doctor told my mom, you know, my injury is not, when they went through surgery, it was, you know, went surgery went very well. It was not substantial. It was, they explained it to me as severe whiplash. So that's what I thought it was. Um, once, you know, we, that's what we thought all these years, severe whiplash. And uh, I'll get to later, but uh, that's what they told us. So don't do anything crazy. We've seen miracles happen. So don't pull them out of school. You know, we're going to get you to an inpatient facility, rehab facility after the seven day, hopefully within seven days, we'll get you there um, to get things, trying to get therapy going. So that's what they left us with. Now, my parents had to make a decision to what rehab to go to. And we didn't know anything about, like I said, spinal cord injuries. So we, they made the decision based on what's closest to home, which was on the outside of Pittsburgh and Hummerville. And uh, that's where I went because it was easy for my friends to get there, easier to uh, didn't have to go in the city. So I went there. And that right there, when I got to the rehab is where I knew I really messed up. Um, that's the first time since I, the accident, which was a week later, that I knew something was seriously wrong. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't roll over in bed on my own. I couldn't, um, I couldn't do anything on my own. I could not do anything. I couldn't move anything. They had to support me. They had to dress me. 19 years old. 19 years old, I had to get dressed by my parents or a nurse. I had to get bathed by a nurse. Um, everything. So that is right there was some tough shit to handle for a 19 year old. Um, what, what I was, how, I mean, what was going through? Do you remember what was going through your mind at that point in time? Were you, I mean, were, where, where was your head at? My head was, um, pretty close to rock bottom. I, I, uh, lost all my motor. I, I, I didn't know what to do. I did not know what to do. That is my, was my thing. I had no, all I could do is cry. I, I, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, how am I going to do this? Cause I was always a thinker of figuring things out. I really like figuring mm -hmm. different things out. And this one had me completely stumped because I, I couldn't walk away from the situation. Literally. I couldn't do anything. I was stuck in the bed. And even if I sat up, they sat me up on the edge of the bed, I would start to pass out because my blood pressure would drop, which we didn't know. Um, spinal cord injuries have a big play in blood pressure. And uh, I mean, wow. I didn't know. I didn't want to go to therapy. I didn't want to get out of bed. I did because I got forced to first couple weeks, first two weeks, I'll say. Um, I didn't. I was at rock bottom. I was just lashing out at everybody saying, I, I can't do this. It's not, I, I can't do it. I, I, this is the, I'm defeated. Like I, there's nothing I can do. So the sec, the second week of therapy, um, remember I, like yesterday, middle of the night, cause I didn't sleep good at night. I woke up and, uh, middle of the night, 
I think it was 120. I always say this. It's like 120, 126 in the morning. And said to myself, don't know why it came to me, what happened, came over it. It's. I said, you know what, Zach? Nobody can fix a situation. Nobody. Your parents, your friends, you can cry all you want. You can piss and moan all you want. Nobody can fix it. Yeah, you don't want to go to therapy. You're going to get nowhere. And I literally had a conversation out loud with myself. And uh, this is on me. You know, I made a decision that day to get in the truck drinking. Nobody else's decision is mine. I knew what I was doing, but I did. I was invincible. Didn't think nothing could happen. Um, so that's a really that's a really ma- mature perspective from a nineteen year old. I mean, it. Yeah, you know, thinking back, it's like I don't know why it came to me like that. I don't know, mm-hmm. like it just came to me, and I was like, "You have to do this." If you want to live your life, you know, or you can stay in bed the rest of your life and do nothing. You have two choices. Get your ass moving or stay in bed. That's what you're going to do. Well, from that day forward, I uh, started really pushing myself. And I mean pushing myself very slowly at first because I couldn't do anything. And I would, then I started asking for more therapy. I started and they saw a light come on, I think. And they realized, you know. I think this kid wants to work. So <laughs> I really did start working and I had a great, this is crazy to say, but I had a great group of, uh, I had a great group of therapists for one in Harmerville, but I also had a great group of people that were there with me. As terrible as that sounds like they made it so much better. Like I had a guy named Brad. Um, I'll remember him till the day I die. He would make me laugh about things and he would uh, joke around and he would, you know, it, it was, it was, it made things, you forgot about the little things sometimes. So it was nice. And I think that helped me a ton too. Mm-hmm. But still, um, I wasn't, I was an inpatient rehab for two months and the hardest thing that I heard was towards the end of those two months. Yes. I worked very hard throughout the whole time. And they said, you know, you're going to need a power chair the rest of your life. And right there, I was like, oh. kick me right in the face, basically. Uh, I need a power chair? I said, no, I'm not. I said, no, that's not happening. They said, so a, you a pa- a, can, you ex- can you explain oh. what, what, like, what you mean by power chair, just so everyone no. understands? Sorry. Yeah. So uh, a power chair is basically, I'd be sitting in a chair and I have a joystick to wheel me around everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that was going to be my life, they said. And I said, no. It's not happening. And they said, Zach, like we can't send you home from therapy without you being in like being able to move yourself around. I said, well, I'm just telling you it's not going to happen. And I won't do that. I said, there's, there's no way. So about three weeks, about two, three weeks before I left therapy, I said, you guys are not, I was in a, a manual chair, which a manual chair just when I pushed myself the whole time. But my parents were pushing me while I was trying to help because I still had no, really no real movement in my arms. I could move them a little bit to sort of, I don't know how to explain it, sort of, uh, sort of throw my arms to move the wheels a little bit. Still could not do it myself. Three weeks before I left, I said, they said, all right, we got to get your chair fitted. You know, we're going to send the rep in and we're going to get you fitted for a chair. Well, I, uh, they brought a manual chair and I couldn't push it. They said, we can't send you home. And I said, all right, I'll make a deal. If I can make it around this gym before I leave one lap, 
I go home in a power chair or a manual chair. And they're thinking this, there's no way, but yeah, we'll do it. By the time I left, I made it around the gym one lap. So no power chair for me. And I, I made that goal in my head. And that's where it started. I, I learned wow. so much that day. I said that, that I made a goal. It, it may seem like a big goal in, at the time, but it's like, I'm going to do this three weeks. I have three weeks to work on this. So we worked in therapy strictly to me trying to push that chair. By the time I left, like I said, I pushed the chair. So it was, uh, wow. that was a big thing, but I could only make it one lap around and I was completely wiped out. Um, all my, I do want to say like, I was, a, I was, like I said, I was always in very good shape and all my muscle mass, which was really another thing hard to handle. Um, my body completely changed. Um, my muscle mass was gone. Um, and it was hard to look in a mirror. It really was at first. Um, mm-hmm. and that was a, that was a big thing for me too. So I struggled a lot with that, but I knew I still had to work. So after inpatient rehab, I went, came back home. And back home, like I said, was a small town. So I didn't know if I would get the therapy I needed in my hometown. And I was completely wrong. I told these guys what I wanted to do at therapy. They never worked with a spinal cord injury patient in this area before me. And uh, they researched they saw what determination I had and they pushed me to my max. And that's what I wanted. Like I said, I want to be pushed to my max. So Mm -hmm. going to the outpatient and transitioning to home life was super hard for me as well, because it's not coming home, getting dressed, going to work, going to school, going outside, running around. My, my cousins all lived up by me. Um, where my family lived, we lived, my whole family lives on a hill, um, or we call it the hill, but all land that pretty close to each other. So couldn't go out and run around. Um, I had a big support system. My friends always came over to my house. My family's always at my house um, to make me feel, you know, they, they, they were there for me. And it's still, I struggled super hard. And when I got home, if I said I wasn't going out or doing something with my friends, because, you know, I feel like a burden. Uh, you guys have to throw my chair in the back of the car. Well, they didn't take no for an answer. I was going. They were. They didn't care. Mm-hmm. I was going. If I said no, I was going. Which really, really, they, they don't even understand how much that helped me out progress through this whole journey to force me to do things that I was uncomfortable doing because it opened many more doors for me to realize what I can do. Um, but back to therapy. I went to therapy for two hours for my upper body and my hands and three hours for physical therapy, which was just, we got in the swimming pool. We did different uh, exercises for my core. We did exercises with my legs. Um, even though these muscles per se were not moving, we still worked on things trying to get them to start working and fire, start firing. Um, so I'd go to therapy five hours, come home, rest for an hour. And this was every single day you were doing this. So five days a week, I was going to therapy mm-hmm. and seven days a week, I was doing therapy on my own. Um, but I'd go to therapy the five days a week. I'd come home, rest for an hour and I'd do therapy for another three hours. And I did therapy in the morning. So I'd come home, rest, take my break, do therapy for three hours, get something to eat, 
And after supper, I'd hit the ground again and we'd start doing core workouts. Another two hours. I, I did therapy. Therapy was my life. Eight to 10 hours a day, I was doing therapy. And people say, there's no way. But there is. I did it. I, I was exhausted. Yeah, I, I worked my body to the max. But that's how I got to where I'm at. Um, days that I didn't want to get out of bed. Days I did not want to go to therapy because I just didn't feel right or didn't feel good. And people have them days. And if, and there's days I didn't, I couldn't make the therapy because I was literally sick, but days that I said to myself that I couldn't do it, or I, you know, just didn't feel like it today. I don't, mom, I don't want to get out of bed today. I don't feel like it. There's no, there's none of that. It was, you're doing it. It doesn't matter. You're getting out of bed and doing it. Yeah. I didn't have a choice. And that instilled in my mind, this is where the whole wrestling mentality came in. My motivation went out the window. I had no motivation. Like motivation was a thing of the past. The discipline kicked in to where it got to me where I'm at. Um, I was disciplined to the point where if I didn't do a workout, I'd feel so guilty on myself that I'd have to get out of bed and do it. Like it was, it was the, it, my mind, I trained my mind so hard to not think of what if, or not think of, I can't, it's think of how I'm going to do this, or hmm. I got to work harder to get to this point. And throughout this whole progression, I am setting small goals for myself. Goals that were, were realistic for me to get to. Um, one goal was I want to be able to sit up on my own. I want to be able to sit up on a, on a bed on my own. Well, that was the first goal we started working on. And that transitioned to a whole new world of things. Like I was able to sit up on my own. Then we started working on wheelchair transfers from my wheelchair to the bed, my wheelchair to the car. Like it was a, it was a stepping stone. Every, each step mm -hmm. I took got me to a new point. So that's how I progressed. But the progression was the discipline to not quit. And I get the question all the time. How did you do it? The best answer I can give is I didn't give myself another choice. I knew what needed done. I knew that I needed, I wanted to live a full life independently and I wanted to prove these doctors wrong that said that I was going to need full care the rest of my life. I was need care. My parents were going to have to take care of me the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So, so you talk about like uh, making, making that switch in your brain um, that, that really led to that discipline and, and setting the small goals. Were those all things that really internally, they just came from you um, or, or was there, you know, any, you know, external ideas, people, you know, coaching you along where, where any of that came from? So that's a very good question. Um, how I listen to a lot of motivational speeches on YouTube, like mm -hmm. motiversity. I listen to a lot. Um, I um, listen just motivational speeches in general. And I had nobody that was in my situation in my hometown or anybody I knew that I could lean on or talk to. Cause unless you're going through the situation, you can't even begin to imagine you can, people can say they can imagine, but they can't. Yeah. It, it's, it's insane to even try to explain, but the motivation can't, or that, that came from an external source of listen to motivational speeches, taking those motivational speeches and replaying them and replaying them and replaying them. You know, like I, I am a big, I'm big into the manifestation. Also, like I created vision boards of 
things that small goals that I want to do. And I would, I would literally for, I would literally pick this goal of me transferring in my car, getting my wheelchair in my car independently, which at, at this time, you know, eight years ago, I couldn't do it. There was no way I could do it. And now I can do it under a minute, but I would sit there in my driveway, envision me doing it, getting in the car, getting the chair and how I was going to do it and just sit there and think and think and think. Then I would start to try it and it didn't work. Failed. I failed so many times that I could have just quit. I could just, I could just gave up. Yeah, I could have. Cause I said it so mm-hmm. many times. It's like, I'm done. I can't do it. Well, the time that I got my wheelchair in my car, which was one of my big, big goals independently that changed my whole independence was I sat in my driveway for six hours, transferring blood, sweat, and tears, literally dented my car. But by the end of the day, I got my wheelchair in and out of my car myself. Might've took me 10 minutes. No, might've took me a long time to get the wheelchair in and out of the car, but it's, I did it. And that, that right mm-hmm. there, like, was like, wow, I can do this. Like, I just have to think. And that's where the manifestation, like, like people think I'm nuts. Like if I was, I'll put something on a board and I'll say, okay, let's make this goal. This is going to happen. Well, if I believe it and I felt it and we go through the motions and I work towards it, that's how I get reach my goals. Um, muscle, muscles that didn't move that should never have moved. I should never be able to move any of my hands. Um, this hand still is. Not my best hand. I can use it, but it's not great. I should never, I'd never be able to do any of my triceps. Hmm. Things the doctor said were impossible. I made happen by just working, believing, envisioning what I was, where I was going, what I needed to do. Um, yeah, that's sort of some of that. It was, it was wild. I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious when the doctors see your results, what do they say? Like, so what I, kind of feedback have you got from them? I got to explain this. So if you remember a little bit ago here, I just said I had severe whiplash. Um, that Mm -hmm. was what I was diagnosed as, but why can't I walk? Like it was just, it blew my mind. And I, I did, um, displace a bone. I found out in my neck C5, C6 level, but you know, they said it was severe whiplash. I went out to uh, another doctor, got another evaluation in Cleveland Cleveland, Ohio, and went out there and go see the doctor. The doctor says to me, I never would have pictured you coming in like this. I sort of looked at him like, and this was two years ago. He said, your, uh, your MRI is significant. He said, there is no medical reason that you should be in a, in a manual chair, let alone breathing on your own. And I, I wow. sort of like, I was like, What? And he said, I've seen spinal cord injuries all. That's what I work with. He said, I just, and my wife was with me and I had to ask her when we left. I'm like, did he really say that? Cause I never heard that. I never, ever heard that. And she's like, holy man. Yeah. And he said, whatever you're doing, don't stop. Do not stop. And I'm like, wow. Um, see that's where, and I knew this all along. Um, I found, I did tons of reading, tons of research. You know, the doctors know the medical side of things, which doctors do great, not dissing any. But they do not know the heart and determination person has. And when they tell you, when Mm -hmm. a doctor tells you, hey, you know, you're never going to walk again. When somebody hears that, 
that that a lot of people it that's the end that's they're done they're done they quit they heard that you know they they're not even gonna try why the hell try if i'm not gonna ever walk it cuts cuts off the goals right there right there it and, and lim- I, limits the vision yeah exactly and i and i'm not i really not i, I can't when i heard that it was hard for me to swallow and mm-hmm. i didn't let i blocked it out you know the mind mm-hmm. is such a powerful thing um i go back to that because for me to remember and i and you know before i started talking more about my accident and stuff i had to sit in my basement the one night and really think i had to sit there and think no sound no nothing around i wanted to think because i blocked everything out of my mind of the previous my accident like what i the struggles that i went through what my parents had to do for me um you know the getting having to get a bath get bathed by nurses and i'm 19 years old like i blocked that out like i didn't i had to think to remember it your mind is crazy it's a crazy crazy tool but uh you know when doctors saw it when a doctor i never went back to my surgeon which hey you know he did what he had to do um but the last time i went back to him uh he said zach it's time for you to time for you to move on from your injury and start your life and i looked at him like no I'm not doing that. And I never went back to him since then. I did start my life, but I continued to work. I w- well, what what did he what did he mean by that? It's time he to meant, move on from your injury and start your life. Like what he meant is, you know, you're two years out. This was a I'm going back two years out from my injury. You know, you're not going to get no improvement. You know, they say after spinal cord injuries, two years out, you know, you're not going to see much improvement from the medical side of things is what they were sort of stating after so long, you don't see much improvement. So it's time for you to just, you know, stop going to therapy and start your life. Maybe go to school, um, you know, start, start doing some something. And I'm thinking, no, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. If I would have quit that day, I would never be able to live on my own. I'd never be able to do half the stuff that I do now. Yeah. So how, how much like from that time that he said that until now, like, can you just, list some of the improvements that that you've seen so some of the improvements i've seen is from that time i still couldn't transfer on my own at this time when a doctor Mm -hmm. told me that i'm able to transfer in and out of my car now independently i can transfer anywhere um basically i'll say um i regained my core back i regained my triceps back to so my just want to jump my tricep on my right side when I'd raise it above my head, it was always just falling my head. I couldn't even hold it mm-hmm. up. Um, and my tricep just came back to about 80% last year. Wow. It's crazy. So it's crazy. Um, I, they told me I'd never be able to walk with Kate with, I'd never be able to walk period. And I always really wanted to push for braces to try to walk. And when I was in inpatient rehab or outpatient rehab, we set a goal and we put knee immobilizers on my, um, on my legs to lock my knees out. And no, I couldn't take a step at all. I needed assistance, full assistance, to take a step. Um, but that evolved into me being able to get KAFO braces, which locked my knees out, but I'm able to, I was able to start to walk. I couldn't walk from, I couldn't rock, walk 20 feet at first. Now I can walk basically as far as I want with these braces. Yes. Granted, my knees are locked out, but these are all things that should never have happened according to medical side of things. 
Um, I should have no hip flexors. I should not have any feeling. And I have full feeling now for my neck down my whole body. I can feel everything. Um, but you know, that's some major improvements. I can get my wheelchair in my car now independently in under 50 seconds. It's in and out of my car, break it down, put it in my car. Um, and I got videos on my Instagram, um, of that. I mean, it's just, just, if I would have stopped that day, I would never been able to do what I'm doing now. I can get dressed on my own. I've been able to get dressed on my own for quite a, for probably eight years now, six, seven, huh? actually probably six years now. It took me a long time to start to get socks on because I had no really hand function. Um, but you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at if I'd have stopped. Mm-hmm. It's, it was, a. how did I do it though? When somebody told me it's time to move on and goes back. So, so you said it, it in your one video, um, you said, you know, a spinal cord injury is what you make of it. Yeah. Can you kind of expand, expand on what you mean by that? Yeah, you can, uh, I do everything I used to do. Then some, I live a full life. I got lifted Jeeps. I off-road. I, I found ways to do things. I thought outside the mm-hmm. box and figured ways to do things. I, and you can do anything you put your mind to, but if you don't believe in yourself and you say you can't, I'm telling you, you can't, you won't. If I don't believe fully commit and believe to believe I'm going to do something, I've tested this theory thousands of times. I won't do it. If I have any doubt that I'm not going to be able to make that transfer or I'm not going to be able to make it through that in my wheelchair, I won't make it. Your mind is so you, it, your, your spinal cord injury is what you make it because you can live a full life. There's so many adapt, so many adaption adaptive devices out there that you can live a full life. And you may take longer doing these things. And that took, that was a hard pill to swallow when, you know, it takes me a little bit longer to do things, get dressed in the morning. I got to get up for work. I get dressed and it takes me 25 minutes. We'll say on a bad day because if my legs are spasming, which means my legs are locked out and then they're super tight may take me a little bit longer, but I do them. People take so many things for granted too, that you don't think of just getting your socks on takes you a second, takes me 10 minutes. I, I yeah. saw that I might've been the, the same video that where you were uh, making a transfer to your car and taking your wheelchair apart. And you were talking about what, what happens when you forget your phone in your house and you have to put everything back together, go in. Yep. It's yeah. Stuff that you don't even think of People like little think small of things like that. And yes, I could get pissed off and down on myself, which I do, but I realized everybody has bad days, able-bodied, disabled, doesn't matter. You have bad days, but those bad days are minimal portion. I mean, I have a lot of good days and everybody has a lot of good days, but you can't stay. If you get down, I learned that you can't stay down. If you stay down, it's hard as hell to get back up and push forward. And mm-hmm. one way that I adapted and that, that I cope with stuff, I guess you can say is I don't stop moving. If you ask any of my friends, my wife, anybody, I am constantly on the go. My mind's constantly thinking if my mind starts to drift to a, you know, Oh man, I wish I could, I wish I could just stand up and grab that wrench up there. I immediately switch my train of thought and think, all right, how am I going to get this wrench? I got to get my grabber. I got to get something to get it. So I don't let my mind think like that. 
I trained it not like if I go to that area, I immediately switch the thought. That's how I do, I guess, that part of things. And that's why I don't get down a ton, but I do get down. I have bad days. I mean, it's it's days that I just, you know, days I fall in my wheelchair and my wheelchair coasts across the living room and I got to crawl to go get it. It's like, man, this freaking sucks. <laughs> but you get through those days. You really do. And I laugh myself. And But I live a now present state. I live a very good life. I uh, work a full-time job over, I mean, over full-time. I work, put a lot of hours in. I get up 4.35 in the morning, get ready for work, go to work till 4, 4.30 some days, come home, eat dinner, uh, sit down with my wife and our little baby, uh, which I'll get into here in a second, and I go back to working out. I, I, I always, always get a workout in no matter what. I'll either bike, hand cycle, or I'll work out. Um, Tuesday or Mondays and Thursdays, my grandpa comes over and we work on leg workouts. Um, I'm starting to get some, starting to get more move in my legs, uh, my quads, wow. my hamstrings, and that's 12 years post injury. Um, so nothing's out of the question. Um, if you just, uh, just a, a, a question on that, you know, the, these, these gains that you're still having, have, have you connected with, you know, others in the, uh, you know, the spinal injury community who, who are seeing like similar, similar things like that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, yeah. I don't, this, I, it's, I have, and it's very few though, because some, a lot of people don't go to the level that the people that are seeing results still go to. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't mean that to sound bad. Some people physically can't, but yeah, you gotta be a absolute freak. You gotta, you gotta, you have to work out constantly. You have to somehow juggle your life like my life work come home work out do what i do my social media stuff um you have to time management's a big thing but you have to if i don't work out say tonight if i don't work out i won't be able to sleep tonight (laughs) because i I, i'm so guilty i have to do it so i have talked to others that, that have are still seeing gains 15 years post yeah but you have to continue to work on things and try different things I don't know. That's, that's like my biggest thing is just, you have to stay pot as positive all the time as possible, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. You, you were, you were going to talk, I think about, so, so you have a, you have a new baby and then there's yeah. some other recent news that you yeah. got, right? So if you yeah. want to talk about that. So, so, you know, our, my life's crazy. Our life is crazy. We, we travel, we've, been all over the place, huge off-road enthusiasts. We go all the places and we've been trying to conceive a child uh, since we got married and 16. Yeah. And uh, we just didn't have any luck. Um, We did IVF trials, IVF, um, and just wasn't working. So we went through the adoption um, journey. And Mm -hmm. seven weeks ago, we adopted a baby girl. We named her Charlie. Uh, Congratulations. It was, it was amazing. Seriously. She's the cutest thing in the world. And, uh, you know, you think the story's crazy enough. I'm trying to figure out all this stuff with, you know, a newborn baby being wheelchair bound with limited upper body strength, trying to move her around. And again, that's another thing you figure it out. You just have to figure it out. 
And then come along, we found out my wife's pregnant with triplets. So she's 27 weeks pregnant with triplets. Now, mind you, we we went to Tennessee, Knoxville, Tennessee at the end of last year to get a um, to do an embryo adoption, it's called, where the, we adopted embryos and they implant them in my wife. The end of last year, we had a failed attempt. I, I, it's funny you say that. Not funny, but interesting. I had no idea that existed until like five or six days ago. Um, my, 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 not to go off and tangent about myself, oh, but no. my wife and I, we, we, my wife and I have, have a daughter who's eight years old and we've had trouble conceiving um, a second child. And I'd never heard of embryo adoption. So I literally just stumbled upon it. But yeah, anyway, go go ahead. It is absolutely, we went to Knoxville, Tennessee to NEDC. And it was, I never heard of it. Like I said, I never heard of it till last year. So we gave it a shot and we had a failed attempt. Um, So the beginning of this year, we had the opportunity to do it again. And we had so many scams with the adoption. Um, It's unreal. It makes you sick, honestly. Um, So when we heard about baby Charlie, we were thinking, you know, either or the either either or is 50-50. So my wife was already started medication for the embryo adoption, and we heard of, we found out about Charlie and the opportunity with that. So we pursued both. Now, they implanted three embryos into my wife, same as they did prior, the prior year in 22, and that's their protocol if um there's a uh, a poor graded embryo. They'll implant three. So less than a 1% chance of triplets and a low chance of twins the way they do this. Well, we're praying with triplets 27 and a half weeks right now with uh, a boy and two girls. So it's crazy. It's it's crazy. And that embryo adoption is uh, it's I it, it just fascinates me because right now um, the two two of the siblings Two of them are siblings, and one is from a different family. It's crazy. It's just crazy. Like these things are so are possible. Yeah, it's 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 wild, man. Um, and I had I had no idea how many embryos th- there are that, that are. It's it's like yeah. there's like a million embryos that are that are frozen. yeah yeah yeah. And and um the That's actual wild. the any the one any DC we went to um they were the they were one of them. I think they were news for a thirty year old frozen embryo um that they somebody just had a. Uh, child with mm-hmm. it's crazy but wow. my life our life is about to get wild and i always say i've always said it and this got me through to where i'm at too is i love a challenge and let me tell you it's a challenge and you know i just told my wife we were just talking about this before i jumped in a call real quick um for me to be able to do something on my own nobody can be around so i need to be how i found out to get back in my wheelchair nobody is home so I had to do it. I had to figure out a way to get back in my chair with nobody home. Changing a diaper. I've been there, I, um, you know, for the past seven weeks, we've been changing diapers. Well, first time I changed a diaper, I was with my wife, and she, you know, went through everything, and she helped me do everything. Well, she left, and I'm like, oh, no, I've changed a diaper. <laughs> so I got everything ready. Um, you know, you find ways to do things. I had to use my teeth to get the zipper of the onesie down. And, uh, long story short, Charlie was a trooper. Took me 26 minutes to change a diaper. That means getting a diaper on, putting a onesie on 26 minutes, but I did it. And all I can Mm -hmm. do is go down my time from there. So 
you know, that's how I do it. I have to, I like a good challenge. So these next three are going to be a challenge, but we're going to do it. And it's going to be a hell of a story. Oh, you guys will see us on something because it's going to be, they're going to be pushing me down over the hill probably in a couple of years. And- <laughs> yeah, but it's, that's just such, such an amazing story. Um, the, the way, you know, the, the way it's taken, taken a surprising turn here. Um, just, just absolutely incredible. Um, it's, it is. Hard to even put into words, but we didn't we didn't get to talk about adaptive outdoors yet. So let's let's talk a little bit about that, where that came from, and, and what you want to do with it. So my adaptive outdoors, I started in 2020. The reason I started adaptive outdoors, and bef- I, I never was one to put myself out there. I did not like to put myself out there um, on social media ever. And adaptive outdoors started because during COVID, I was really thinking. Um, I, I was, I had some time off work and I was thinking, you know, nobody, when I was first injured, there was not a hub to go to or a website or a social media page that showed all the different types of adaptive equipment that's out there for people. Um, spinal cord injuries, any type of disability. I share so many things on adaptive outdoors of different disabilities and just inspiring stories of people overcoming what was said to be impossible. So I had no idea what my vision was with it. I wanted to create a hub and I wanted to show the adaptive equipment that gets people outdoors to enjoy the great outdoors with, you know, adaptive equipment. So the great, the outdoors was a therapy in itself for me. So I wanted to sort of show that and Mm -hmm. adaptive outdoors took off like crazy. I was getting emails all the time asking what this piece of adaptive equipment is, or, you know, thanks for sharing that. That made my day. It was a, you know, that inspiring story showed me that I can do this or, Hey, that's how you get your wheelchair in the car. That helped me figure out my next step. Um, so my vision with adapt outdoors was a hub to show people an inspiring place for people to go to see that a disability does not define a, a d- define a person because it doesn't. And anything you put your mind to, you can do. Um, the future adapt outdoors uh, my vision of it would be to have a building someday and be able to let people come try adaptive equipment out prior to purchasing it because this adaptive equipment is insanely priced. Um, and you don't really know what works for you and what doesn't. And that, that may be in the, the works here in the future. Um, and to help people adapt their vehicles with spinal cord injuries or any like disabilities with, with limb function, um, with hand controls, installing hand controls, mm-hmm. doing vehicle modifications. I've been, you know, in talks with some people. I really, I want to help people see that there's light at the end of the tunnel and you can still live a full life. That is my overall goal of Adaptive Outdoors. And it's not, I'm not here to, the thought of making money was never in the plans of this. It was more for, I really want to help people see that they can do whatever they put their mind to. And you can, you 100% can. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's a little bit about the adaptive outdoors. It's uh it's doing very well and uh just helping others see that. That's that's awesome. And you've also been, you know, we I talked a little little bit about the the social media and the videos that you've done. You found some success on TikTok, I understand. Yeah. Yeah, TikTok sort of blew up. It went crazy. Some of the videos and Instagram took off. Now all the videos with little Charlie, right? People are asking me how how I get Charlie around the house. And, uh, I shared this belt that I wear that she sits in, um, a lap baby it's called. 
and uh, mm-hmm. just little things that people don't know about that has helped. And I have some new uh, new stuff coming up with how I can use a crib being in a wheelchair. So that's something to look out for. But okay. it's uh, quite – I enjoy it, and I do it out of enjoyment. Um, it's not work for me because I, I don't stage any of my content. It's my life, and I've seen it. It helped a lot of people, and that's why I continued to continue to do what I do because I mm-hmm. – yeah. And you get those people that, you know, will say stuff, but hey, I just let it go. Yeah, it's it's the internet. You're always gonna have nope. people hating on you no matter no matter what you do no or well. what you say. There's gonna there's gonna be haters. But yeah. uh yeah, I guess last thing before I let you go, if you if you could just give all your plugs, your social media, adaptive outdoors, anything else that you that you want to plug. Definitely. Um my personal Instagram is Z Wolf W O Z W O L F E. Oh, one adaptive outdoors is uh adaptive outdoors with a Z um, adaptive outdoors.com. I have a YouTube, which is adaptive outdoors. And um, we have are starting a new uh, social media called the wolf pack. So we're going to have uh, be sharing a lot of stuff on there with how we get around with four kids, four babies, infants, newborns. It's going to be wild. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's uh, that's some of my stuff. Follow me and join the join the craziness. All right, man. Well, Zach Wolf, thank you for coming on the show. All right, well, that was my interview with Zach Wolf. And guys, if you like this, please share this show. Uh, you can share it in podcast form if you're listening. You know, whatever podcasting app you're on. If you're listening on YouTube or Rumble, uh, please share it with a friend so others can see this content. And uh, as always, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and share the show. That's it. We'll see everyone next week. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.